to episode 23 of Be Me Sicky. I am your host, Mira, and I'm here with McFreeze. Hello. And Hayes. Hey. hey. And uh, we want to apologize. We did not have a show last week. Uh, we had uh, several circumstances which prevented us from recording last week, so we are here now. And also, I'm going to get ahead of this and say in advance, there will not be an episode next week. It's my we- fault this time. One of us will be out of town winning fighting games or losing in them. One of the two. Definitely losing. <laughs> uh, what game? Uh, Hayes is going to Combo Breaker next week just to dox you a little bit, Hayes. Uh, what, what game are you, do you play uh, Combo Breaker? Is, is Street I, Fighter? I'm going to be playing, um, actually, Guilty Gear Strive and oh, yeah, Blaze yeah. Blue Cross Tag Battle. Uh, not Cross Tag Battle. Uh, Central Fiction. They've all got dumb names. Whatever. But yeah, those will be the, the two main games I'm trying to focus two on. Two games. My my uh my goal is to not go 0 and 2 in both of them. Um if I can win at least one game, I'll be happy. If I can win two, it's fucking mission accomplished. Good luck. We'll be rooting for you over here while we're not recording a podcast. Uh, uh apparently uh when I'm in Guilty Gear, I looked at my bracket and the second person I play is one of the best people in the area, so we'll see how that well, if you can beat him, or them, I should say, because I have no idea what gender they are. If you can beat them, uh, then then uh, very good mission accomplished. Then join them. Oh, my God. Is that the expression? Is that how it goes? Yeah. Anyway, beat, to, uh, we, beat them, then join them. <laughs> uh, two weeks from now, the week after next, we may actually have a bonus episode for you, though. So, uh, so be excited about that, I guess. We, uh, I'm excited we have, about it. We have that shades of gray we got to do something with. <laughs> shades of gray i've heard it's a great episode i'm really looking forward to it yeah it's one of the best honestly yeah. <laughs> you'll never forget it that's for sure you might actually forget it um so we today we're talking about uh up the long ladder we got season two episode 18 up the long ladder and then season two episode 19 um manhunt and these are uh, two episodes of the television show, I will say i mean the season the end of season two i'm gonna say gets really strong but these two are kind of not the strongest but they're still fun gets really strong there's only there's only like three episodes left right well i mean leading up to this like last week we had two bangers that's true uh Um, but but now they're kind of fading a little bit uh, they're fading fading hard these episodes (laughs) really nada they were nothing they were just shoe shine um that i mean like okay listen i love racism i guess as much as you guys <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here on bimmy sicky hates loves racism clip that clip it clip it <laughs> but um uh yeah so the, the next episode is very funny um just because it, it is apparently a script that got fucking rewritten into the fucking dirt and so whatever intentions were meant with like the, the casting and just general choice of that episode were just kind of lost and you just have a funny Irish episode as a result. <laughs> but it is funny. That's it is I, very... I love the funny Irish people. I'm sorry. I know I'm problematic for saying that. but uh... the, the funny space Irish are very what, funny. What if and... we just filled the Enterprise with like 50 clowns? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the next episode is Luxana is down bad. Is down the baddest anyone has ever been. Um, so it's like... It's it's their fun episodes. There is zero like philosophy going on here, which you don't need to have a good episode of anything. But it's just like in terms of what people like, you know, might be looking for in Star Trek. This is like th- this is definitely uh, something something else. They kind of lost the plot on this one, definitely. Well, I, um, I honestly though, like 
I've said before, I'm pretty sure I just want like a slice of life episode. They should just do a slice of life episode. Manhunt is that basically. It is yes. basically just a, a slice yeah. of life episode. And it's fun for just being that, you know, it's there, like a, there, there's like no conflict in, in, um, in fucking, you know, Manhunt. Like there's like one little bit technically, but even that doesn't count. And it's all just like in good fun. Like that. I, I do like how much of that is just like t- chilling out with the crew, having a good time. And then, for some reason, in uh, up the long ladder here, there is like a dumb conflict that is kind of meant to tie things together, but I'm not sure really quite. We just we decided we wanted to have two plots, and then we needed a way for them to connect, and we kind of skipped over that, and it's fine. Yeah, and the way that we connect them is also extremely problematic. But don't worry about it. (laughs) That's just (laughs) Just, some fun space hijinks. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's start talking about up the long ladder, shall we? Um, uh, stop beating around the bush and just get right to the funny Irish people. Uh, so this episode first aired on May 22nd, 1989, was written by Melinda M. Snodgrass, directed by Winrick Colby, and the in-universe date is 42823.2, so year 2365. And this is the one where, uh, the Enterprise meets the funny Irish people and also the clones. There's some cloning. There's a little bit of cloning. It's like barely in the episode. I this think it's like, like, it takes up like 20 minutes of the episode, but it feels like so like is on. a part that I just forget exists because it's not anywhere near as memorable as the funny Irish people. No. See, I remember all. it. I always remember the, the clone bit, but I always forget how little of the episode it actually is because like in my mind, I guess they did a good job with in my mind connecting the two because I do have them married in my mind and I'm like, oh yeah, these two are going to be a connected plot and they're going to go to the other colony. And then I'm watching this episode again and I'm watching it and I'm watching it. And I'm like, when is anybody even going to fucking mention the other colony? And I think it's like half an hour in that somebody's like, oh yeah, the other colony. Did you, did you hear anything from them? It's- like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were right to focus on the funny space Irish because the clone part is not that interesting, to be honest. No, it's really not. Uh, we do get some <laughs> funny clone sites, so funny, funny clonings. Um, so this episode starts, we've got Riker on the bridge of the Enterprise. There's some creepy music playing. Oh, this is one of the, the primo episode beginnings where they have to, like, make some false-ass tension. It sucks, dude! It's like part of a D-plot. This sucks! <laughs> it's really funny, though, because we see Worf looks really troubled. And, um, and Picard... I, I, actually, I actually thought, like, I like when, when I watched this episode for, for the first time, I thought, like, I started in the middle of it. Because there's, like, all the haunting music, and they're, like, in the middle of, of like, doing something right they're like we gotta check out that area over there and do this and do that like it really feels like you're coming back from break and then like you know Worf is having problems and like no this is just the start of the episode it doesn't go anywhere it's dumb i'm sorry go on yeah we just uh you gotta start somewhere i guess but picard appears on the bridge and asks Riker to join him in the ready room uh giving data the bridge and then Worf is uh still looking very bothered back in his station But uh, Picard's meeting with Admiral Moore, and he wanted to discuss an old distress signal in space. And Picard reveals it's a centuries-old Terran code from Earth. And Riker says there's no record of an Earth colony in that sector, but they're like, well, maybe there is. Maybe you got lost somewhere. So uh, they uh, look up what the distress signal is from, and it's from the European hegemony. Am I saying that right? Hegemony. 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 definitely... The word you want to use for your own government is hegemony. It has no <laughs> bad connotations. Don't worry about it. Um, oh. I, I, I have a, I have a quick question. Terran code? Why not Earth code? Because it's Terran. I but they always know. say Earth. They but do they always, always say Earth, but not this time. Say Earth. 
No, but now it's Terran. This is like not this ain't Starcraft. What's going on here? This is Starcraft. It is weird because Terran is actually what they call it in the mirror universe, which I don't does does uh Wait, does the next generation actually ever have a mirror universe episode? I don't think they I, do. I think they they have one. I think they they didn't like it as much as uh other series do definitely yeah there's like a billion ds9 ones and they're all awful but <laughs> um, i don't i don't remember tng even having any mirror universe episodes uh yeah the mirror universe is uh, a thing they invented in tos haste uh where there's just like what if there was a mirror universe and everybody was there but they were different Dun, sounds dun, dun, like, dun. It sounds like a cheap thing you could you could do on TOS, so I believe it. <laughs> yeah, and they they do definitely do that. Uh, but Earth on Earth in the universe uh, mirror is just Terra. They just call it Terra. So yeah, it is weird that they're calling it Terra okay. in here. I was wrong. There is no mirror universe in this entire show. Yeah, I didn't think there was. I was going to say I think I'd remember that. Uh, the DS Nine just had so many they they made you remember it falsely. Yeah. Looking forward to these great episodes. I'm sure to love. Dude, DS9 is a really great series, but like when I was last rewatching it, I, those were the only episodes I was like straight up skipping. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everyone's here, but they're wearing all black leather and they're edgy. Okay, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a brief spoiler because it's like season fucking seven of DS9, but like um, there's a Mirror Universe episode where one of the characters in the Mirror Universe is a uh, character who's from the goddamn holodeck. Like uh, they have a holodeck character in the Mirror Universe as an actual guy what yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it makes me so bad it's so stupid <laughs> look he just he in this universe he figured out how to walk out <laughs> yeah easily <laughs> he just walked out of the holodeck he's like ah here i am okay anyway uh they try to find any possible ships that this uh, signal could have been from remember on the enterprise uh they're looking for this hegam 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 what how do you say the word hegemony uh meanwhile morph has passed out on the bridge and uh data page has plasked the bridge for him so oh no do you think you start this episode and you think like oh no something's wrong with Worf. it's gonna be a Worf episode something's wrong with him nope not really he's got the fucking measles how does this happen <laughs> well because again again this goes nowhere this leads to a no. tea party that ends and that's just that's just it like well he didn't get his klingon shots because he was living with humans so sure I, okay, here's my thing. Is like they keep saying, "Oh, this is like the measles. This is just like that famous thing, the measles." It's like even in the '80s, the measles was not a thing that everybody got. Was... Yeah, I always got the impression from uh, the way that they talk about it is is not that he missed that he was supposed to be getting a shot for it, but they talk about it like it's a chicken pox where you know you you have kids get it at a young age so they contract it and it doesn't hurt them that much and. And that was the impression I always got from this. Um, yeah. And they could have used the chicken pox. I don't know why they didn't. They have to use the fucking measles. People still get the chicken pox. I, I never got the, the chicken pox. Uh, the measles are actually coming back, though, now, because people are so anti-vax. Yeah, measles are back in a big way. Everyone's, yeah. I, everyone's I got getting the, them. I got the chicken pox uh, vaccine whenever I was very young. and got, like, one of the early, like, vaccines of it. And, um... It's actually a bit scary to me now because it means uh, if for whatever reason I miss a chickenpox vaccine, I can just get it and it would fuck me up real bad. Um, yeah. Which yeah. means, you know, you just got to stay on top of your shots. It's not a big deal, but it's just a little scary to think about. Yeah. Well, then uh, 
But if you got chicken pox, you know, you can get shingles when you're old. And that's a bad time. Yeah, oh, really? that's also, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can know. come back I, I didn't know that. later. I didn't know big chicken pox led to shingles. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, so, yeah, in general, diseases are just bad and scary. That's weird. It's fucked up. It is. <laughs> but Pulaski and Worf are in the sick bay in the, in the next scene. And Worf is claiming that Klingons do not faint. But she patronizes him about fainting. It's just so mean. Like, she's her... Fu- Everybody's always talks about Pulaski's fucking empathy and how she's, like, supposed to be the most empathetic doctor. And here she is making fun of her patient for fainting. <laughs> well, well, she she's uh, making fun of him for being so obstinate about what Klingons do and do not do. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. He just says, like, doctor, there's no need to insult me. <laughs> <laughs> And she says she's worried because uh, Klingons don't faint, but um, but she says he's sick, and Worf says Klingons do not give in to illness. And then he attempts to leave, but she steps and uh, stops him and determines that he has the Klingon chicken pox. And he's like, how will I live down this humiliation? I think is what he says exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but Picard hails and asks how Worf is doing, and Pulaski actually lies to Picard and covers for him and saying like, oh yeah, he was uh, he was practicing some Klingon fasting thing and fainted. Yeah, which <laughs> she's she's em- she has empathy. She she was like kind of saving his pride there, you know, you know. Yeah, but I feel like maybe that's not a great thing to lie about. Like, what if somebody needs to know that Worf has a disease? What if other Klingons come on board and somehow Worf gives it to them? Well, oh, I think maybe we missed a couple episodes off screen where Worf and Pulaski became great friends. And <laughs> she's just busting his balls about it. His four yeah. balls. <laughs> yes, four balls. Uh, but but Worf thanks her and says he's in her debt. I honestly like uh, might have my little headcanon here, but that they're dating on the side. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just uh, saying. They 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 were shipped by uh, the giant face from episode two. Yeah, and they probably started thinking about it after that, and they're like, maybe there's something here. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but back in the ready room data goes in to talk to picard and uh, data's been considering this possible missing ship from earth and thinks to check uh, cargo manifest records from earth and picard's like oh that's a good idea and he looks it up and he finds the ship immediately it is the ss mariposa and when we get this fantastic exchange between data and picard where data says mariposa the spanish word for butterfly and picard just says thank you data and data says i thought it might be significant sir and picard says it doesn't appear to be data (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah if it was a french word you know picard would have been all over that shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I i do like the idea like in some episode data just noting like the translation or history behind a word that actually might be relevant towards the solution of an episode of an episode but in the cases where it isn't people are just like data why are you talking about this <laughs> <laughs> He's trying this to help. Data guy, he never fucking shuts up. He's always he's, going on. He's such a know-it-all. He's helping. Okay. He's such a big know-it-all. But, but Picard's going through the manifest of the ship and uh, sees that they were carrying like a wide mix of both high-tech devices like computers and also stuff like spinning wheels and uh, animals. And um, he's talked over by Data, who's defining a spinning wheel, doing the Data bit. There's a lot of Data bits in this episode. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I think I mentioned it before, but you can tell the quality of an episode involving data by how much of it, how much of that episode is just fucking data doing the bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. 
Um, and uh, this episode really does have a lot of like season one vibes and also like TOS vibes, which I don't know if I'm qualified to say since I haven't actually watched TOS. But whenever I see this episode, I think this must be what TOS was like with the of funny just, racist space Irish shit. Just of stuff just happening. People kind of going over their sort of thing they do as their character. Yeah, no, I think I think, you know, I've only watched a handful of TOS myself. But there, it, there definitely is a quality of that of just they're not really being like a lot to the episode. It's just kind of events happening and the characters reacting to it, which I think is like perfectly acceptable TV in, in of itself. Um, but also, it's just kind of it, it's kind of like what you see is what you get more or less yeah and it's also a downgrade from what the season has been doing already uh too yes. that this episode's just kind of a weird hiccup of uh we had a bunch of good episodes and now it's time to have a bad one again um yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you said this season was a victim of like uh the writer's uh, strike as well mm-hmm. so this yeah. episode definitely feels that way feels like uh they might have needed some more time in the writer's room on this one but didn't uh didn't get it Although you guys were saying they rewrote it several times, so maybe they, they had did. too much time in the writer's room. Yes, yes. I, um, so Melissa Snodgrass, she's the one who actually wrote uh, Measure of a Man. Um, she was talking about how, like, this episode was more so about, like, you know, classism and such. Um, and then that just kind of got rewritten and rewritten and rewritten, and it just became just two very disparate sort of plot lines. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can see the threads of the classism like there, like the skeleton is there. It they just don't do anything with it. He just kind of just didn't flesh it out at all. No, they kind of yeah. took it out. It's I mean, it, 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 it's just like yeah, there's another colony. Dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want I want to read uh, the thing from Melinda Snodgrass because it says. My boss at the time was Maurice Hurley, who is a major Irishman and leads the St. Patrick's Day Parade. When I was describing to him what I wanted to do, I was trying to come up with an analogy. And I said, it was like a little village of Irish tinkerers. And he loved it so much, he made me make them Irish tinkerers. (laughs) And I said, okay. Great. Fantastic. You know, I'm glad they did because I enjoy the Irish tinkerers. Um... But Picard is confused about this mix of stuff in the manifest, and Data suggests maybe they were just preparing for the worst. And so Picard asks Data for some background on the European uh, hegemony, 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 hegemony. You, I said it. Hegemony. Um. So I, how how does Riker not know about the fucking foundation of the world's current government? There's a lot of history. Okay, do you know every detail of the last 400 years, Hayes? I didn't think so. I know about 1776, motherfucker. I think Riker <laughs> would be able to handle that. Well, also, we're talking about Picard, not Riker. Uh, but Earth well, was recovering. Well, no, I was just saying Riker. Riker is one saying, Well, Riker would know if it was about America. We know this. Yeah. But it's not. I don't think Riker's even in the room for this conversation, though. I think it's just Picard and Data. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. I was, yeah, that was earlier when, uh, they, but, when they were doing the thing. Okay, continue. Earth was uh, recovering from World War III, and a popular philosopher named Philip Deegan was at the time advocating for a return to a simpler life, a philosophy called neo-transcendentalism. And Picard thanks Data, but says it still doesn't explain why they'd have all the computers and stuff. Um, but it's, also, it's a little fun fact, and I think DS9 actually revisits the neo-transcendentalists uh, later, if I'm remembering right. Um, blah, blah, blah. so Worf arrives at the sick bay to thank Pulaski for uh, by doing a Klingon tea ceremony for her, and yeah, this doesn't go anywhere. Like 
but I love it. I love the Klingon tea ceremony. And I think it's a nice little bit of uh, Klingon culture that they just kind of shoved in here. I, okay. But, uh, in theory, I love this. This seems completely at odds with anything we've seen out of Klingon so far, like the tea party set and everything. Or, or I guess they they don't they don't they wouldn't have like a proper Klingon tea set. Maybe it would look way more metal than this or something. But like we've seen, we've seen the Klingon ships, and we've seen like the kind of stuff they use. Like it, it, it is impossible for me to believe they have a tea set. Impossible. You just you just don't get Klingons, dude. They're, they're I don't. A, a, they're a romantic people. They, no, they love their tea sets. And the Klingon thing about this is that the tea is fucking poison. Yes, it, well, it's, yes, yeah. Um, but she's familiar enough with the ceremony that she starts it, and Worf warns her that she must not drink the tea as it's fatal to humans, uh, and it's poisonous for Klingons too. And that's why um, it's it, they drink it. It's a test of bravery. And uh, Worf says a reminder that death is best shared. And so Pulaski remarks in surprise at Worf being such a romantic. Uh, it was, I'm telling you, they're dating on the side. She's, she's <laughs> moved enough um, to give herself an antidote to the poison so that she can share the tea with Worf. And then they, they drink and, um, and she asks Worf to quote some love poetry at her. Ooh. Yeah! And then they don't show any. And then they, we never see Worf no. again in this episode, I don't think. No, that's not true. We see, we see him we, later. We see, we see him, yeah, because the Space Irish have to go, oh, that's uh, Klingon right there. And, and it's like, you know. Oh, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you didn't like that? You didn't like my, my great accent? You do a better God. job of it than I do. You do a better job of it than I do. I'm going to try it. <laughs> um, Faith um, and Begora. But... I, I wanted to hear some of the poetry. I'm so sad. I, it would probably be in Klingon anyway, you know? That makes me want to hear it more. Okay. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way. Okay, so we forgot to talk about this uh, during that one episode where Worf has his, like, ceremony, right? Um, the pain stick you, ceremony, it, yeah. The the pain ceremony. And you just brought it up right now, you know, we, well, we would only hear it in Klingon. So whenever we first heard those uh, those Klingons, you know, speaking in Klingon, the theory was that the universal translator didn't work because they're able to jam it at their leisure, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Why why are we why would we never be why would we hear uh, Worf just say Klingon stuff? Because he's choosing to have it come out of his mouth as Klingon. It's poetry. You can't just translate it. But it, why wouldn't the change why the wouldn't whole the, the everything? Uni- why wouldn't the universal translator translate it from Klingon? Because he's making the conscious choice to not translate it. It's on his end? Yes. What? Yeah. It's the, the person who has the universal translator can decide what comes out of their damn mouth. I thought the point of the translator was that the person listening would have it translated for them. Well, yeah, usually. But sometimes people can decide <laughs> to speak in Klingon because they really want to. But but wouldn't the translator on your end pick up the Klingon and being like beep boop translating? No, I don't. I don't know. There must mean. be some kind of honor system among the translators where it's just like, okay, <laughs> that's if you want to not be translated, that's, that's not good. That's a terrible system. I hate it. <laughs> it's it also fine. seems like it also seems way harder. <laughs> like it well, works for everyone else in the galaxy. Haste. It's just the Klingons that are assholes about it. Like <laughs> nobody else has this issue. Um. Uh, <laughs> so on the bridge, though, Picard has data initiate sensor sweeps in the FICA system. And they find the sun of the system has a lot of solar distress right now, which is likely what's caused the SOS. 
Uh, the fifth planet from the star is Class M, and they go to check it out, and Data finds human life signs! Whoa! And they try to hail and get no response, and Data says that there's no indication of any kind of communication system on the planet. Worf also detects no artificial power source on the planet. Uh, and a huge flare, though, is going to hit the planet in about three hours, so they need to evacuate the colony ASAP. But Troy points out to Picard that the colonists have been isolated for 300 years and may be very, uh, she says, unsophisticated. So Picard orders Riker to go down to the colony. Um, and from the planet, Riker reports that there's about 200 people there, but there's a, a possible issue. And Picard says, there's no time. Just go ahead. Just do it. Bring them up here. And Riker's like, all right. And he tells O'Brien that the first load is ready. And then a, a family is beamed aboard with several livestock animals, sheep and goats. And we get uh, Irish music playing in the background. <laughs> it's a big cartoon already. I love it. Um <laughs> So more colonists are in the transporter room, pushing chickens and pigs out of the way. And a man in a hat carrying a crate of ducks comes in. Uh, and Riker tells O'Brien that the third wave should be in a position for transport. So O'Brien kicks a pig out of the way. Did you guys see him kick the fucking pig? Yeah, I did see the pig. I saw it. It was very yeah, funny. This is why I don't want to marry O'Brien, Hayes. Uh, and the man <laughs> with the ducks. Uh, the man with the ducks hears Riker call him O'Brien, though. And he's like, oh, O'Brien, oh. Uh, but Picard and Worf go to the transporter room to see what's up, what's what, and see a chicken like fly out, getting chased by a, an adorable tiny girl. It's just a cartoon. It is no. like literally a cartoon. <laughs> I, I want to, I want to correct you and say someone threw this chicken out the door. Yeah, someone <laughs> threw the chicken out the door. What are you talking about? It we, just we, flew got, out. we got Link from Legend of Zelda over there throwing chickens around. <laughs> Um, but the, the duck man goes over to talk to O'Brien and says, oh, Brian, was it? I should have known it would be a good Irishman who was running this ship. Okay, I said I wasn't going to do an Irish accent. But you, <laughs> you gave that up immediately. You, Not you, even one line in. You, you can't help it. You <laughs> can't help it. It's a big part of the episode, you know. Um, but he offers O'Brien a sip of his flask. Picard walks in and O'Brien uh, declines the sip of the flask. But uh, the duck man determines that this is Picard somehow. And goes over to talk to him and yell at uh, him about the evacuation. But he's scared off by the sight of Worf behind him. Uh, the duck man then introduces himself as uh, Danilo Odell. Picard mm -hmm. asks Riker what the deal is with all the animals. And Riker's like, well, it was either this or argue till it was too late. They, they needed to bring their animals. And Odell's like, yeah, we couldn't leave our animals there to die. And also, how could we build our future without them? And you know what? Odell is fucking right. Yeah, you don't he's just right. leave animals to die on the planet. Yeah. Also, like, not only do you not want to just kill all these animals for no good reason, they're able to support these animals apparently very easily. But also, that's their entire, like, their livestock is their livelihood. Like, come on. Yeah, that's the only life they know is these fucking animals. Not fucking animals. These animals. Uh, now, now granted, world. transporting them to a fucking different planet is probably not going to work out super well. But they gotta try. Yeah, it's just, just don't leave them to die in the solar flare. Hard, of course, the, heartless the, the, bastard. The part of this episode that no one really thinks about is the fact that there's just fucking Earth animals on this. I guess, I guess in theory, they could do, they could have like brought they, them over. They brought them over in the spaceship. It, it was, was yeah, a it was big in the point of contention. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. It was in Pay the attention. manifest with the spinning wheels. You probably got distracted because Data was so busy defining a spinning wheel. But yeah, there was I, I did not hear it oh, if it was under if it was under that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it was under that. So, uh, but Picard tells O'Brien to beam all these colonists and their uh, future colonists uh, directly to Cargo Bay Seven, and he goes to leave. Um, and O'Brien begins doing that, but Odell chases Picard out the door to try to arrange a marriage for his daughter. 
man what a theme between these two episodes uh yeah i, I love it because he's like hey uh you wouldn't happen to be married to you because uh i got a daughter and card says oh felicitations <laughs> and he's just, are you sure no no way <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't need to think about it too much. Um, so in the observation launch, Picard, Riker, Pulaski, and Worf are meeting about the colonists, and uh, 223 of them have been brought aboard. And Pulaski says there will be two more of them in the next couple days. Yay, pregnant women. Uh, and they muse about how well the uh, anachronistic colonists will adapt to the future. But when they get an alarm sounding from the ship, there's a f- fire detected in Cargo Hold 7. A fire! A fire! Yeah. It's later revealed that Picard, that no one explained it to them the rules of the ship or what you can and cannot do, <laughs> which is like their own, they knew. their own fault, really. I mean, like, come on. These are just like people going yeah. on a spaceship. They, these people have. OK, they come from a planet, a little colony where they have literally no artificial power source and the entire Enterprise just assumed they would know how to use a food replicator. Like what? <laughs> They really suck at this sometimes. They do. Um, but Picard and Riker arrive at the cargo bay doors. The fire has been contained. And Picard has them unseal the door. And Odell and other colonists are waiting inside to complain about lightning falling from the sky. Worf explains to them it's just a system to put out fires. And Odell's like, well, what would happen to me if I'd been standing in under it? Uh, and Worf is like, you'd have been standing in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> and he pushes it. And he's just like, well, what, what if I was, though? And Worf is like, well, you would have suffocated. He's like, oh, and then, okay. he, then he acts all offended, like, oh, I see now. <laughs> I love Danilo. He's, um, great. He's great. Yeah, this episode like is not a good episode, but and it's problematic also. But also the the, the actors, the character actors, they get to play the funny Irish people are so good. Well, very specifically, <laughs> Danilo carries this episode on his fucking back. Like, well, him and Brenna too. Brenna, we're good. we're about to meet Brenna, and I love yes. her so much. She's great. Um, She's great. But the, like. Because the the crew have nothing to do in this episode at all. (laughs) It's these two Irish cartoons that carry the entire episode. They're the only reason to watch. And it's a good reason. I like them. Uh, But walking further in, they arrive to a woman who is the Brenna that I just mentioned. Uh, She's got a ruined pot of porridge on the floor. And she's complaining about how she can't cook food because of all this stupid bullshit. She's like, your hospitality leaves something to be desired. You don't offer us a bite or a sup. And when we try to build a fire to cook ourselves a little something, the whole place goes mad. And Riker is, like, immediately enamored with this lady. He loves the beautiful, angry Irish woman. And um, Picard apologizes and kind of mumbles about food replicators. Like, oh, I assumed you could know how to use those, huh? <laughs> and, this, and this woman says to Riker, and what are you staring at? You've never seen a woman before? And Riker says, I thought I had. Boy, <laughs> he's so horny at all times. Oh, he's so horny. Um, and then Danilo Odell introduces the woman as his daughter, Brenna Odell. Brenna makes some uh, some more folksy swears about how men are all useless drunks and marches off. And Odell <laughs> apologizes for her behavior and says she's not normally so sharp tongued. And she immediately like screams his name across the cargo hold <laughs> as he heads off. Um. Picard walks over to a spinning wheel and can't stop laughing at this entire scene. And buddy, I'm there with you. This is <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's, it's like it is the same kind of comedy as the Flintstones. It's basically, great. yeah, yeah. Uh, and they go to leave, and Odell stops them to ask them how the ship sends the fire. And Picard tries to explain 
Uh, but right away, Odell reveals like he doesn't know what a computer is, which why would he? Again, he has like they don't have fucking computers on their planet. But Picard's explanations are cut off by Brenna yelling at them again. And they go to leave, but Riker says he's going to stay behind and uh, give her some help. Wink, wink. Then he, then he very sexily starts picking up some straw. <laughs> well, no, she is. He walks over to her and he's like, you don't need to do that. The ship will clean itself up. And she just like looks up at him and she's like, well, good for the bloody ship. We finally got our answer how the ship gets cleaned up. It does itself. Yeah, it makes sense. sense. Okay. But, uh, but she she just goes back to cleaning, though, yeah. because she's like, I got to do this fucking work, you know, something. I'm not going to trust the ship to clean this place for me. Um, but she looks back up at him and the two kind of exchange some lust glances here. And she stands up and um, she like very mm-hmm. suggestively lifts up her skirt to reveal her ankles. Oh, <laughs> like, this is fucking 19th century and she's doing a striptease from her ankles up but she's like do you know where a woman could get her feet washed around here and Riker offers offers her his arm and says that he'll happily show her the amenities I feel like Ooh. there is a, a cut part between this and the next scene with with her and Riker yeah she's in a different outfit like what she, happened she, yeah, she's in a different outfit and they're just like oh ha, ha, we had a great time doing all those things we did now what about that feet washing it's like <laughs> clearly something got cut here they should have just kept it in forget about the clone planet just like let the whole episode be Riker and Brenna fucking it would have been a lot better yes I <laughs> totally agree um, Picard and Morph are walking away from the cargo bay and Morph remarks that Brenna is much like a Klingon woman and uh, then uh, Danilo runs after them again and, I have a uh, question. I have a question. Is that racist against Klingons or the Irish? Uh, um, neither. Them comparing uh, the Irish to just like what, what are li- literally not, space broods? Not it's the not Irish. It's just, just her. Yeah, it's just Brenna. I okay. I feel I like I don't think that's racist, dude. He's not saying all the women there are like that because it's just obviously clearly very Brenna. I see. Brenna is a fucking battle axe and I love her. Um <laughs> but uh uh Odell runs after them again and uh this time I wrote in my notes I hope they finally ask about the other fucking colony because like I said I was expecting that to come much earlier in the episode and this he finally does. He's like, "Okay, uh have you guys heard of the other colony?" And they're like, "Another colony? What?" But the episode is literally halfway over before they mention the other colony. And I wish they took longer because I just want more of the funny space Irish. I hate Same. Well, Same. You, you gotta have the big twist halfway through. Well, well, the 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 Irish part of the episode, there's no conflict at all. It's just funny slice of life sort of stuff. And then the sec, okay, when we get there, when we get there, but it's just it's crappy like contrived Star Star Trek conflict that happens for no reason. Well, don't worry, we have some more funny Irish stuff before we get to the other colony anyway. Um, we just get a, a quick supplemental captain's log about, uh, oh, there's another colony, I guess. Uh, they must be the ones the computers belong to. And um, more importantly, though, Riker is showing Brenna to his quarters. And she's in a different outfit, like I, like we said. But this one has a midriff. You can see her belly. Oh, oh. And uh, she scolds him about his messy room and starts to pick up after him. And he's like, you don't have to do that. And she's like, well, if I don't, who will? And Riker says that he understands now why her father wants to marry her off. And she says, oh, and why is that? And Riker says, attempting in an Irish accent so he can have a pipe and a mug of beer in peace. Like, why is he doing an Irish accent at her? He's always wanted to. They're just playing. (laughs) They're just flirting back and forth. You know, that's... I guess that's like... 
God, I don't know. Pillow talk to him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Weird, but she still needs to wash her stinky, stinky feet. And he points out the bathroom to her, and she's like, "What's the matter? Don't don't you like women?" And and uh, he's like, "Oh, is is there something more to this foot washing?" And uh, they just start to go off and fuck. I guess I don't so, know. So then that's the part where Riker grabs her head with like a watermelon and just starts sucking on it. <laughs> oh, so it's that scene from uh, from Dust Till Dawn. I don't remember that mm. scene in that movie. The part where fucking Quentin Tarantino sucks on a foot for like a full minute. No, no. his her head. <laughs> oh, her I'm head. sorry. Her head. I would have remembered if, if Riker had just grabbed her foot and started sucking on That's it. That's not how you wash a foot. Well, you would wash a foot that way, though. It would work. I, Maybe I, I that's do what like, they do off screen. I don't know. I do like how you see Riker. Uh, you, you see Riker go from like zero to 100 when like at first she just asks, oh, where do I wash my feet? And then he's like, eh, you do it over there. And then she's like, oh, don't you want to do it with me? And then, and then he's like, oh, oh I'm Riker. Let's get it. <laughs> yeah, he he just, practically like tears her clothes off right there. Goes in with both hands. He, he does the, the fucking thing from Lupin the Third, like in the intro. He just like dives out of his own clothes. Yeah. Well, and she's also like undressing in the scene where she takes off her. Is is it the petticoat that's on the outside? Whatever skirt we wear on the outside, she takes off. I'm, I don't remember if the petticoat's on the inside or the outside. I just wrote down petticoat. I'm going to look this up right now, actually, because I'm curious. Petticoat. I don't know shit about fashion. Don't ask me. Oh, the petticoat is the underskirt. So she took off her overskirt and just to reveal her pettisk- pettiskirt. Petticoat. Petty. I don't, I don't fucking mm. know. Anyway, uh, Odell sent from Worf, or sent for Worf. Um, and they're brewing some alcohol, and they needed a way to heat it. But like, uh, Worf explains they can just order real alcohol from the food dispensers, which I didn't know you could do. I didn't know the food uh, dispensers actually gave you real alcohol. Because Odell's well, like, oh, it's not, it's not that synthahol shit that O'Brien tried to give me, is it? And he's like, no, 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 real alcohol. It seems like you shouldn't have that. So I think this is like... Um, you shouldn't have that. Remember, I'm going to say, oh, yeah. Anyone can just use the communicator on the ship, but you just we just expect you not to if you if you're not supposed to. So it's like that. Yeah, you're not supposed to get drunk, but you can. Yeah, you can get drunk if you want to, but nobody on the Federation actually gets drunk. I figure it's like logged on your profile and then like eventually an officer at the end of the week is like, you notice that you've been ordering like whiskey every single day now for the morning, noon and night. Are you okay? What's it to you, buddy? No. <laughs> Odell orders a whiskey, though, and he complains it's terrible. It's got no bite. So fucking, fucking, this is the problem, right? With, like, just be, like having only one setting for every kind of food, right? Is that, that like, people are going to have different kinds of tastes. And, like, if the asshole who, prog- who programs in the whiskey has weak-ass taste, then you're just stuck with this. It's See, a I don't problem. Think, I don't think that's a problem with the replicator. It's a problem. No, I don't think this specifically is a problem as much with the replicator as much as uh, he drinks fucking moonshine normally. So, of course, regular whiskey is not going to have a bite to him. Yeah, he should have ordered double whiskey. And yeah, maybe that would have worked. Uh, but but Worf orders him a Klingon drink instead. Uh, I think it's a Klingon drink anyway. I don't remember what he says, but he just orders him a drink that's like foaming when it gets it like a fucking steaming. And he's uh, it ha- it has a bite to it. He's happy with that. And right he, now, makes, he makes this goofiest clown face you've ever seen when he drinks it <laughs> it's, a, it's very much a clown face um but brenna comes over to yell at him about uh drinking and he says about talking to dr pulaski about the children going to school and also just to be a funny angry irish woman 
So it's a good scene that I didn't write down the details of, but it's, it's mostly just Brenna yelling a lot. This is where she says, this is where Worf says, uh, ma'am, have you considered a, a career in security? She says, security? If it's anything like babysitting, I'm an authority. And then yeah, and all, the, all, all the other all women. The, all the <laughs> ladies laugh. Like, yeah. <laughs> laugh track. <laughs> it was good. Um, so the Enterprise has arrived at the other colony, and they meet with, uh, on the on the screen, Wilson Granger, the Prime Minister of Mariposa. And Data theorizes he must be the descendant of the Captain of the Mariposa, and is told he's not exactly a descendant, um, but he invites them down. Troy tells Riker to be careful, as Granger is hiding something, of course, and Riker takes Worf with him and has Dr. Pulaski meet them as well. Which, I don't wow. know why, why is Dr. Pulaski meeting them? I, I don't know. Did they mm. say, I don't know, did he say that they needed what kind of help they needed? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, but the away team arrives and is greeted by Victor Granger, the Minister of Health, who looks exactly like Wilson Granger, the Prime Minister. And Riker introduces them all, and they're escorted to the Prime Minister. And Riker privately asks Worf if they're twin brothers. And Riker and Worf are walking down the hallway, and they see three identical women hanging out, and they're like, triplets? And then, like, a fourth identical woman walks past them, and Worf is like, quadruplets. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. I like that bit. Uh, the Minister of Health leaves Pulaski at a statue uh, where a man is, and she kind of like stealth scans him with her tricorder. Um, it's a very, uh, remember when uh, Dr. Crusher did that in season one when they were on the planet with it, stole the children. Mm, very yeah. stealthy scanning. Uh, but they, they arrive at the Prime Minister's I, office. I, I don't know how it can be stealthy. It's loud as shit. <laughs> the, guy is no, the guy is just like looking at her doing it too. It's not stealthy at all. <laughs> no, no. no I'm, I'm just scanning this statue over here. It's fine. Don't worry yeah, about it. Just taking a picture of the statues, Garen. Can I, can I take a picture from closer to you, Scan? Um, they arrive at the prime minister's office and Pulaski asks him if their entire population is made up of clones and Worf and Riker are like clones. This is like clones. It's so goofy. (laughs) This is a good cartoon episode. Clones. Clones. Come on. You guys know what clones are. Come on. Um, they, they invite Granger to the Enterprise to discuss the issue, and he explains how the colonists had an accident when they first arrived at the planet that left only five survivors, and as they were all scientists, they decided to survive via cloning. Uh, which is pretty inventive. You gotta give them to them. You gotta hand it to them. Um, so at first they had to use uh, drugs and laws to suppress the sexual urges, because was it Riker that asks this right away? Like, how did you not fuck? I don't yeah, know if it's Riker like... or Pulaski, but... <laughs> No, don't fuck your fellow clone. Definitely don't fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) What's the point then? What's the point of having a planet of clones if you can't fuck yourself? You can fuck yourself. It's fine. (laughs) It's not fine. How could you say that? Why would you say that to me? Never mind. (laughs) Um, So at first they had to use drugs and laws to suppress the urges, but then over time they just uh, simply stopped having sex. They're like, nowadays we we consider it kind of gross. Yeah, and this is where Riker is offended. <laughs> yes, yeah. But Pulaski asks how they uh, overcame the issue of replicative fading, and, uh, well, they didn't. And she's like, oh, you do have a problem. And so go, have you guys, this is where I have to ask you guys, have you seen the movie Multiplicity? Nope. No. 
Okay, well, I have to show that to you guys at some point because this is a that is a movie about replicative fading, and it's very funny. Hmm. Because if you make a copy of a copy, they just get increasingly stupid in comical ways in that movie. <laughs> it's less uh, less comical in this episode because it takes generations in this episode, but yeah. um, in the movie, it's kind of immediate. It's funny. It is a good movie. I'll have to show it to you. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Granger tells them that they just need an infusion of fresh DNA to continue their society. And Riker refuses this on principle. He hates the idea of being cloned. And Granger's like shocked by this. But Picard's like, you know, everybody on the ship's going to feel that way, too. And Granger's like, oh, well, fine. Fuck all of you. How does he know that? You, did, you should, didn't even ask anyone if they wanted to or not. Yeah, I feel I, like I'd be, I'd be okay with it. I, I would have care. said, sure, why not? I'm uh, never going to see him again. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of with I'm kind of with Riker. It would make me very uncomfortable the idea yeah. of just like, but, okay, okay. It's not it's not that they're just making like a clone of you just for like whatever reasons. They're making a fucking army of you, and they're going to be doing it for like years and years and years. And just like the idea that like. I don't know. They're making fully adult clones of like other people. Okay, so here's the here's the other thing. It, this isn't like the kind of clone where it's like, okay, you make a baby that has your starting DNA, um, but like even though it effectively effectively is you, might not necessarily look like you, and it's coming up from a baby, it might grow up to be different. In this case, they're making adult clones, and that's what makes it extra weird to me. That's, yeah. that's fine, though, because you don't have to. It is your choice as the point. You, yeah. And it's like Riker just like, okay, I don't want to. And Pulaski doesn't want to. So that means none of the thousands of people here want to. That's it. Yeah, I, I, there are definitely people on the ship. Like they've had, they've had the same stock of five people. Like if they could get a dozen people to say yes, they'd yes. be rolling. They'd be they'd fucking... Be They'd be having a great time, but it is it is their cloning technology is super fucking weird though. I'm I'm, I'm not gonna it's lie, hit it. Kind of a problem, but <laughs> why does it work that way? It's really strange. Does make um, it not make any sense? <laughs> well, they're also from like the 22nd century. They had this technology in the 22nd century that they could just fully clone an adult human. Like what the fuck? They had five really smart scientists. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's not how cloning works, well, buddy. I gotta tell you. They were sm- they were not smart enough to just keep a copy of the original DNA. They have to copy from the copies. You know that really is a good point. They could have done that also. I mean, it's a case over time. How, how are you going to keep it fresh for three hundred years? Freezer. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Granger at least asks if they can send down a team of people to repair their malfunctioning equipment, and they're like, "Yeah, we can do that." So Riker calls Jordy to get a technical away team going. Again, sending your chief fucking engineer to do this work on a planet, whatever. Um, but Plasky also wants to go back to study replicative fading. Replicative fading. This episode is full of hard words from Merck to say. Um, Pulaski and Riker are on the planet, and they tell Granger the repairs are almost complete. Uh, and they uh, won't reconsider about the cloning. They're like, no, we're still not doing that. Fuck you. And so Granger's like, all right, yeah, your choice. And then he makes a gesture on his desk, like puts his hands down and someone in his office just stuns them and they're dragged off. And then we have a uh, LaForge walks in after them and he's like, where'd they go? I thought they came in here. And they're like, nope, we haven't seen them. So we get this then extremely dramatic scene. Holy shit, this scene, like the music and everything. But we see a guy sticking needles in Pulaski and Riker's stomach. And it's like the biggest horror movie setup for this cloning. It's so scary. Oh, my God. 
the music so is dramatic. really out of control. Um, and on the Enterprise, Pulaski and Riker are in sick bay, and Jordy comes in and asks uh, what happened to them on the Mariposa because he's like, I was looking for you guys, I didn't see you. And they're like, Oh, that's weird. Uh, um, well, I was uh, going to Granger's office, but you know, I don't remember anything after that. And and uh, Pulaski's like, Yeah, me neither. And so she just like quickly grabs her tricorder. <laughs> And this is another really stupid thing in this fucking episode where she scans them and she's like, oh, we're missing cells. <laughs> <laughs> you tell. Uh, this is missing epi- epithelial cells, did she say? I don't remember. I'm, you're missing one gram of your weight. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> They're really um, good tricorders. Or I guess whatever those things are, the medical scanners. Yeah, it's a tricorder. I think it's a medical tricorder. I think that, yeah. Medical scanner tricorder. I don't know. I also forgot to mention, too, that Jordy noted that uh, when he was looking for them, he kept getting lied to by clones. And Riker's like, uh, how did you know they were lying? And Jordy's like, well, because I have these magical eyeballs, see? I can tell when people are lying, which is news <laughs> to me. Is just so out of left field. It's like, oh, Jordy has this fucking JoJo's bizarre adventure power. To, to, to which I have to say, and I'm so sorry, Troy. But we have a replacement for you. <laughs> well, they, they do. They lampshade this, though, because uh, Jordy says he can't always do it with aliens. He yes, just has it yes. nailed for humans. But also, like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, okay, okay. Because th- this implies so much more. I- I'm sure the writers are just thinking, well, he sees good. So he can see the, all the subtleties of human emotion. And he's able to, like, you know, figure all this out on the fly. What does it say about, like, Jordy, though? He's a fucking master of, like, human, like, emotional IQ. Like, holy shit. Oh, I don't think you would have to be a master of it, though. I think you would just have to have normal, uh... Because, like, most people, pretty naturally, uh... Neurotypical people, anyway, I should say, uh, can just look at somebody's face and tell their emotion really easily, right? He can see more, uh, than just their facial expression. He can see, like, what their blood is doing, like, how their blood is coursing, uh, and that kind of thing, like, what temperature their face is. So he can just probably pick it together based off of that. That's and off, off a lifetime of being around humans. Is, is my... I, I'm trying to give the providers a really big <laughs> benefit of the doubt here, because this is so fucking stupid. But this just, feels like a thing that will never get brought up ever again. It, oh, I don't I think it does. Don't I don't think it does. Think. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess is more than his Apollo justice power. It is. is that... Holy shit. It is. <laughs> Apollo justice can tell when people are lying. I need to oh, yeah. games. That's, oh, so that's, someone that's, only played the, uh, the first two games. That's his special they... ability. That's, that's cool. I want to play those games. You play yeah, the, you, you there, gotta... There's a fifth game where he gets attacked by a crow every time he tries to do it. You gotta, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta click on the part of them. That's lying. It's a fun game. I, I love Apollo Justice. <laughs> Those, that's a good series in general, that Ace Attorney series. Um, anyway, Riker's really pissed off that he got cloned, so he's marching back down to the planet, and the other two join him. Uh, and they, they beam down straight into the Mariposa cloning lab, which I don't know how they knew it was, where it was, but they, they get right there, and they find in progress a hairless Riker clone, which is really disturbing to look at. It's like a imagined Riker, but no hair, and kind of made a putty. I, honestly, I 
couldn't tell who it was supposed to be, but they looked at each other dramatically. So I was like, oh, okay. That's how I could tell. Yeah. Cause you also see one where they're like looking at Pulaski and then they look at the woman in the thing. And it's like, I guess that's supposed to be Pulaski, but she looked a lot like the Riker clone. I don't know. Kind of, kind of like a big lump of mannequin. I don't know. Yeah, just a big kind of fleshy, disturbing appearance. But Granger and three clones appear with weapons yelling at them to, they're, you're murderers, you're killing our people. Um, in the ready room on the Enterprise, we have Picard, Pulaski, Riker, and Troy. Um, I guess they just beamed back up after murdering those clones. Picard asks Pulaski how serious the situation is on Mariposa, and Pulaski says they have maybe two or three more generations before the cloning becomes terminal. Did we, did we ever actually talk about replicative fading in this episode of the podcast? I don't think we did. I just mentioned multiplicity. But basically no, no. it means... Oh, yeah, sorry. I think I think you mentioned that, like, yeah, so as you make more clones, they become basically more and more diluted. And over time, they, you, they just become unacceptable candidates for further cloning. Yeah, you get genetic flaws in them, basically. Um, yeah, I mentioned multiplicity, and it's much more comical in multiplicity. So I didn't know if we actually talked about, like... The quote unquote science. Is there science behind this? I don't fucking know. It's Riker's kind of science, but it's like it is based on a world where science exists. Yeah, I mean, we have cloning in real life. Like, cloning is a thing. I don't think that we've it's, done it extensively enough to see if people fucking degrade their DNA over time. It's, it's also not in the way this show is yeah. portrayed. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. You just, like, take cells and put them in a... Um, you take, like, some yeah, cells you, and you put them in an egg and you fertilize that egg and then... Yeah, you just stick the DNA from the from the egg cell into the new baby cell and you do, there you go it's yeah, like that like magic um Riker is still mad about being cloned though and he says that they should inspect the rest of the equipment for other tissue samples and troy plays devil's advocate for the clone planet and is like maybe we should let them clone us i don't know um maybe she's right i don't know but pulaski points out that this is just postpones their inevitable anyway because even if they get new tissue samples they'd have the same problem again in like 15 generations she says what they need is breeding stock. Now we've got problematic. Yeah. They realize they can foist the Irish colony off on them. And Pulaski's like, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and Riker says, unfortunately, it'll have to be a shotgun wedding. What does he mean by that? Now, hold on. We have to have everyone do a laugh track like this is the end of a sitcom. <laughs> Uh-huh. We're talking about forcibly merging these two people together and telling them you have to fuck now. It's so. It, this is such a strange Star it's... Trek plot to do. I don't. I don't know. But, but they have a meeting with Granger and Odell, and both of them hate the idea. They hate each other. Uh, and and Picard demands that they both sit down and hear this idea out because it'll uh, solve both of their problems. And Pulaski explains that the the Bringloidians, which I guess are what we forgot to mention, the Irish people are called uh, the Bringloidians. No, wait, also... wait, 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 wait. Say it one more time. Bringloidians. Okay, thank you. Go on. <laughs> Why did I need to say it another time? Really dumb um, sounding. <laughs> it's really dumb sounding, yeah. But Belaski explains that the Bringloidians will also have to adjust their society. Because Granger's upset, you know, oh, we can't fuck. We haven't done that in 300 years. And Odell's like, these people are snooty assholes. We hate them. Um, and Pulaski's like... 
Well, you'll also have to adjust your society rules, too, because monogamy is going to be out of the question. Every woman, to be uh, genetically viable, you're going to have to have every woman have a child from three different men. <laughs> yeah, this, this plan is... sounds great. What's Odell... the worst that could happen? <laughs> uh, Odell's like, oh, I got to fuck three women. All right, deal's done. Let's do it. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I, I'm surprised Riker didn't just stay behind. <laughs> Um, Riker, uh, or no, Odell spits in his hand then and shakes his, shakes hands with Granger, who loves this, and uh, he says he needs to go stake out his three women, and he he jokes, send in the clones. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, Odell. Um, they go to the cargo hold where the others are, and Odell takes Brenna aside to tell her what the plan is, and um, Granger is like slack jawed because he sees a very pregnant woman holding a baby goat. He's like, what the hell are these people? They've got big bellies. Uh, Brenna comes over to yell at Picard about this plan and how fucked up it is. Uh, thank God. But immediately she's like, oh, three husbands, huh? Maybe that's not a bad idea. Like, what is this ending? I, I, I think she's also like worried about her dad or something. Well, yeah, because the plan. OK, so she's not happy about this. And Picard tells her, like, well, you don't have to do it. You can simply abandon all of your family and friends and uh, we'll drop you off in the starbase. Oh, that's right. He fucking guilts her. God. Yeah. <laughs> we we can just uh, have you abandon everything you know and start fresh, uh, all alone. Uh, or also, you can go we, we, fuck three men. Also, we we know you've been developing a relationship with our friend Riker here. Uh, too bad. Random starbase for you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, an incredibly fucked up ending. It's really terrible. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's great. Don't worry about it. Everything has been solved. I forgot how, how problematic it was. Even I was reading somebody else, a listener of the show, was talking about how fucked up the ending was before we started uh, recording this podcast and um, uh, or before I watched it. And then when I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God. This is so fucked up. Yeah, but what, 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 you don't love our new breeding-based society? It's great. <sighs> okay, but on the plus side, the baby goat, the baby goat is so cute. It is really it's cute. Such a, it's a little baby goat. He's so little. I love baby goats. I love baby animals in general. Baby animals are cute. Not like baby humans. Am I right? Am I right? Just kidding. They're really cute. I hate those guys. No, baby humans are very cute. Okay. The 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 word the Irish word Brungloid means dream. Oh, the dreamers. Oh, that's well see that that sounds much less stupid than Brungloidians, which sounds really stupid. (laughs) Man, we sound racist. Listen, if, uh, <laughs> any Irish listeners of the show, email us at beamethesickbay at gmail.com and you tell me, uh, in, like, with a straight face, that Bringaloidians is not a stupid phrase. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I, if we called Erase the Dreamers, would we call that dumb sounding? No. Kinda. Kinda. Oh, they just love Minecraft. I consider myself a dreamer. Like Case. <laughs> Case is a big dream stan. Um, <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about season two, episode 19, a manhunt with Luaxana Troy. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we are back. We're going to be talking about manhunt season two, episode 19. Uh, this episode first aired on June 19th, 1989. And it was written by Terry Devereaux. Directed by um, Hayes. Who was this directed by? Oh, I didn't even notice. Really? 
Yeah, we got a Rob Bowman, baby. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Let's fucking go. <laughs> In universe date, 42859.2. Uh, Soul year 2365. And in this episode, Loxana Troy returns to the Enterprise, now an ambassador, and she is determined to find a husband. No, 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 no. We talked briefly about this. Um, this episode is basically just a slice of life. There is virtu- There's no real conflict. The only amount of, like, the only conflict you could maybe argue there is, is that one part where she's like, I'm going to marry Riker. And like any even that, like the stakes are like in the fucking ground. They're they're not high at all. Um There's conflict all the time. She wants to marry Picard and he doesn't want to. That's a conflict. Okay, but like conflict as in like there <laughs> is a problem rising. There's an ultimatum that they are having to address. Like there there's none of that uh really happening in the episode. You, you know what I mean? Like the the conflict of last episode where fucking like you know they get captured and their dna gets taken from them there's clones being made from them in about five minutes somehow like that's conflict here it's just like she wants to bone down hard on some on any like on anything that has a pulse apparently (laughs) other than (laughs) she has has some limits okay she's not gonna fuck wesley he's too young she's not gonna fuck klingon because she's a racist apparently she should she should marry Worf. that would be a match made in heaven uh, yeah. What was the uh, reason she said? Oh, she, she said, she uh, she's, said like, she like, she's grown used to humans or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. She's yeah. <laughs> I'm probably. Mm, I mean, she's probably racist. Let's be honest. <laughs> probably, but it's okay. Oh, this is also a Dixon Hill episode too. We get some Dixon Hill action in here. Is somehow even worse at being Dixon Hill in this episode? Some what worse? He's worse at being Dixon Hill. Oh yeah. The, the, he, has, he has like like one moment where he gets to act as Dixon Hill and he's like trying to bring up history that hasn't ha- that hasn't happened yet. Like Picard, come on, man, you can at least <laughs> pretend to play the part. Picard is not a gamer, okay? He's not good at this. He just was, he just wanted a vacation. He wanted to just fucking relax and see was, people keep trying to shoot at him. I, I was actually did... thinking about that. How like he probably fu- he he sucks at relaxing because he's such a like he's all about like working and stuff. And so well, whenever it comes down for him to like kind of let out his hair, he just doesn't know what to do with himself. Well, remember he just went to the horse planet when he wanted to relax and this time he's like no i'm i'm gonna go into a movie instead where i'm gonna be shot all the time why didn't he go why didn't he go to the horse planet again i don't know he's dumb (laughs) he's like i just want to relax i'll go to the gangster like world because it's said in the script we want to do more dixon hill Hooray! All I right. mean, I'm glad they did because I like that. I like Dixon Hill. Anyway, the Enterprise is in orbit of Antid Antid three, awaiting dignitaries to go to a conference on Pacifica, where they have the chance to join the Federation. Um, and Picard is in his dress uniform, and he goes to the transporter room with O'Brien, Worf, Pulaski, and Wesley, telling Wesley that he thought he might find this interesting, as a uh, few humans have ever seen an Antidian. And they beam the Antidians aboard. And what do these Antidians look like, gentlemen? Fish people. They're people that look, that look like fish. They are just fish people. They're <laughs> more than that. They have. They're wearing shower curtains all around their bodies. This is true. That's it's, what fish wear. I guess. If you've ever never seen a fish before, man, that's what they wear. Uh, McFreeze, tell us about the special guest star. We've got <laughs> special guest star from the band Fleetwood Mac. It's Mick Fleetwood as a fish man, and these. <laughs> And this is obviously a great use of his talent because, as we can see, the fishman makeup is 
so thick and complete that they can't even move their mouths in it. Well, it's not even makeup. It's, They're it's, effectively wearing masks. Yeah, like. they have a, the the whole the mask has a mouth printed in it. It is not their mouth, so they cannot speak out of their mouth. Well, and that's fair because the Antidians are actually in a um, comatose state right now, and they literally say nothing for most of the episode. <laughs> honestly that's my favorite kind of cameo in a show where it's like something you don't even know about until you hear about it later or something where like they, they clearly just wanted to do it because they're a fan of like whatever the thing is not because they're like there to advertise their spot like that's the best kind of cameo in my eyes it's good it's pure it's a very pure cameo but it's it's still kind of weird because this character like literally says nothing for most of the episode and is fully in makeup could be it's literally great. anybody I, I love it i love that it's that it's fucking could be wonderful. literally anybody under that fish makeup but no it's mick fleetwood well, it, it, it's not about advertising him being mick fleetwood it's about him getting to be a dumb fish person it's great <laughs> it's about him getting to say look i'm guest star in the credits right there <laughs> <laughs> try to find me bitches Picard <laughs> <laughs> greets them but they don't respond they prefer to travel in a state of self-induced stasis and so he makes sure Pulaski is going to make the arrangements for them uh, and leaves and for right now they have to remain in the transporter room as she gets the fucking sick bay ready how how much advanced warning did they have there picking these people up and she she couldn't have a room in the sick bay ready for them they like literally they're on the transporter for probably half the episode Th- this is like really unacceptable because like yeah like this is your job lady i'm sorry but like you should probably get it ready instead of just having our dudes hang out in the fucking waiting <laughs> they're, they're room vips too they're fucking ambassadors of their planet oh, oh sorry short notice they're, they're sleepy it doesn't matter it, it also that's true yeah it, even if she did have like i guess relatively short notice she clearly gets it set up within like a few hours and so like what's what's her problem what's stopping her yeah oh wesley oh. uh walks over to check out their fish barrel and is disgusted to find out that they're going to eat a bunch of fish in it for some reason i don't know why he finds this so gross he's like oh they eat fish gross because wesley has to be the one that always says stuff like that in every single yeah episode. he has to be racist he like that's the role they've really pigeonholed him into is being the one that goes, why would they do this? Well, this alien's weird. I'm Wesley. This is, I say about every alien. Like it's Captain, just... why wouldn't they just give you a heart that works? <laughs> <laughs> Me- meanwhile, Worf is still, like admiring how handsome the NTDNs are. He's just looking over at them. Like what a handsome race. Um, so on the bridge, Riker is asking Wesley what he thought of the NTDNs. And Wesley says that they are strange looking and data politely calls him a bigot. and picard says data is right and that to the antedians the humans are probably equally ugly Worf says that they are being hailed by a small transport vessel and troy stands up i'm sorry i'm sorry did you bring up what Worf said about the antedians uh that he's that they're handsome just the way he fucking says it though oh he really admires their handsomeness in such admiration of that (laughs) he does that a couple times this episode too where he's just looking at them and he's like man they're just so good looking that's that's such a fucking great wharf gimmick anytime anything's like disgusting wharf is just like amazing (laughs) (laughs) uh but but troy stands up in like great distress and she says oh my god and uh, they ask her what the problem is, and she just says, what is she doing here? And the hail from the vessel comes in, shows a Starfleet officer trying to explain that they have a VIP passenger, and he's just shoved out of the way by Loxana. <laughs> Data receives Starfleet orders that Loxana is to be granted full ambassadorial privileges on the Enterprise, and she will be the Beta Z representative for the conference. 
And Troy just says, mother, please don't do this to me. And this is when I say, say the line, Loxana, say the line. Well, she says, do what? And then she just makes a joke about Picard thinking naughty thoughts about her. What, what is the line? That's the line. Oh. John Luke's <laughs> is being horny. Yay. <laughs> Uh, so Picard goes back into his dress uniform, and so is Riker. They go back to the transporter room to greet Loxana, uh, Troy there as well. And they beam her aboard, and she's doing the backwards bit again, where she doesn't understand how transporters work. But she turns around and is shocked by the sight of the Antedians. And I love her gorgeous, shiny purple gown in this, by the way. It's so nice. It's so pretty. She just has, like, it's jewels everywhere, and it's got embroidery on it. It's gorgeous. I love it. Anyway, she compliments Picard's legs in his dress uniform and says her valet is waiting to be beamed aboard as well. Mr. Holm, our old friend. I love Mr. Holm. He's Mr. So Holmes, my guy. Uh, but does, does he does he ever get to speak again? Because I noticed he didn't speak this episode. No, no, I don't think so. No, he will never speak. Uh, he he get he get, at least gets to drink this episode, which I liked. Oh yeah, oh, he definitely yeah. gets to drink. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then we also get to do the heavy suitcase again uh, joke again, but this time it's Riker who's trying to carry it instead of Picard because uh, she's like, oh, we should have the captain carry the bag and. Uh, Captain's like, no, no, this time I'm going to let Mr. Holm do his job. And Riker's like, oh, don't be silly. I'll carry the bag. And he's like, oh, it's heavy. Oh. So they follow wah, behind. Wah. They're following in the hallway behind Riker, struggling to carry this heavy ass suitcase. And uh, Loxana is like telepathically telling Troy that Riker's hot. <laughs> like, oh, he's got <laughs> nice legs too, little one. And she asks Troy if he's still hers. And she explains telepathically, humans no longer own each other that way. And out loud, Loxana says, really? That's a custom we may have to reintroduce. She's so problematic, dude. She's so... What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? She just wants to bring slavery. I thought they were like talking about like, you know, holy matrimony and whatnot. But like, dude. No, she wants a sub. I don't think they're trying to imply it slavery as much as it comes across, but it, boy, does it come across as like slavery. Sorry, yeah, I have well, ice and, in my mouth. At first, you know, like totally. At first, I thought it was just like, oh, they're talking about, you know, just like, you know, marriage, I guess. But then, but that's not true. They have like marriage and, mm -hmm. and, and, and Troy says that, oh, humans no longer do that. And so I, I can't tell if that's like Troy being dense. Or her mother being a fucking nightmare. I don't know. I'm really scared. It could be both. It could be both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We don't. We don't really learn about the Betazoid um, slave situation. But maybe Mister Home is not voluntarily in his position. I, I, I guess. <laughs> oh my god! None of you say that. Oh, why did you bring that up? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's good. It's got some bad information. I, I mean, He's he looks. Though. He looks pretty happy. He gets to drink. It's fine. It's fine to be a slave if you're happy there's about some, it. There's some perks. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, on a Troy is a problematic fave on this podcast. Oh, yeah. No, she's great. <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely problematic, though. Uh, so they arrive at her quarters and Riker drops the suitcase and just, like, leaves. Loxana tells Picard that she's going to be having a Betazoid dinner of greeting that night. And it's an ambassadorial function, so he has to attend. And he says, oh, it sounds delightful. And he leaves. And after he leaves, Loxana makes an analysis about him being a good man, but kind of stuffy. And Troy tells her it's like uh, she's sizing up a commodity. And Loxana says, oh, but men are commodities, especially human men. And <laughs> again, what is, what she's a mean? little problematic, maybe. But she asks, <laughs> she asks if Deanna's father was ever unhappy. And, and she's just like, no, he worshipped you. But Deanna says she doesn't think that she'll ever see men the same way her mother does. Thank I God. A, I have a question. Go ahead. Is Loxana a girl boss? 
Yeah, I'd say she's a girl boss. She, she, she definitely gaslights. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does she gatekeep? I think she she might hit us. She might hit all three. She she is about to. Uh, well, she, doesn't she like gatekeep Troy a little? Yeah, bit? she gate. She's gatekeeping Troy all the time. I agree. Well, there you go. She's the girl boss gatekeep uh, gaslight. That's her. She's a gaslight. <laughs> that she's a gaslight. Uh, uh. <laughs> so on the bridge, Riker is telling Wesley and Data about Loxana's arrival, and Wesley's like laughing hysterically about her complimenting Picard's legs. And uh, Data says he thought a telepath would be more discreet. And Riker's like, oh, no, it's the opposite. She knows what's on your mind and she just tells you what's on hers. I love that, by the way. <laughs> it, I love detail. I love this part where they're all joking at each other and Data is doing his attempt at laughing. In between. <laughs> <laughs> it's really like, good. I'm socializing. But, but um, th- th- that's a great way to like flesh out or not, not even flesh out to like view a race that like is able to read minds and emotions re- really well. Like. They, they're they just super open about what they say and how they feel because in their typical culture everyone knows what everyone else is thinking anyway so why do they like there's no reason for them to be guarded about anything yeah why are to hide it you know just just yeah. be completely tactless yeah it's great <laughs> like, i love it, it yeah it's it, you don't think about it that way and but it's like no that makes sense that makes a lot of sense um during this conversation picard enters the bridge behind them and he inter- interrupts them and asks uh tells them that the must be treated with respect as she's an ambassador uh, he calls Pulaski to check on how the Antidians are doing, and they are fine. We just get a little shot of them still, the transporter room. And Picard excuses himself to his quarters, but as he walk, walks out, he says, uh, it will be a dress uniform dinner, gentlemen, leaving them confused because, of course, uh, no one else has been invited to the dinner. Picard walks down the dinner to uh, down the hallway to his the dinner in his dress uniform, and he's got a bottle of spirits with him. He passes Pulaski in the hall and who's in her normal uniform and asks uh, if she's not attending the dinner with everyone else this evening. And she's like, oh, I've already eaten, but thank you. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's weird. And so he arrives at Loxana's quarters to find two glasses prepared by Mr. Holm. Uh, Mr. Holm also takes the bottle of blue spirits from uh, Picard and just chugs it in, in one go very impressively. That's my guy right there. <laughs> he like he dr- he's like he drinky. He really does. Picard's like trying to stop him too. Like I brought that for Loxana. Okay. <laughs> so he just bows deeply to Picard as thanks, and Picard remarks that uh, he seems to be a little early and that the other should be here soon. But Mr. Holm, of course, says nothing, but uh, Picard reads his facial expression and clarifies the, the other officers, Commander Riker, Counselor Troy, and Holm shakes his head and smiles, and he just points at Picard and points to Loxana, who's dressed in like this really sultry maroon robe. Yes. She's, she's showing so much cleavage, dude. She's like got her boobs basically hanging out. Um the two of them are having dinner together and she's aggressively flirting with him uh, and he's attempting to maintain diplomacy you know he's just trying to be like yeah, just having a nice dinner with this ambassador that is trying to fuck me this is fine <laughs> this fucking space forks in this scene he picks up a space fork to eat his salad with <laughs> i didn't know it's it's, it's so good it's it's oh my god it is like it's I like think... a normal fork which which is like a nice fancy fork that you would have mm-hmm. except it's got like an electric plug coming out of it with three prongs in a triangle shape. I did not. I, I'm going to have to look this up. I did not. I don't remember uh, seeing this took, at all. McFreeze took a screenshot here. It's there. <laughs> like, the the triangles are just like little wires. Like, it's so. How yeah. do you eat that? That, that, just, that? that looks unsafe to eat with. That looks well, like he, uh, the kind of thing you'd like 
stick in a fucking like orange or something like you know? yeah. well he's using it to eat in the show and he didn't die so there you go <laughs> he might have stabbed his tongue a little bit but we didn't see that because it does look like it's just made of needles um <laughs> but uh he uh, tells her that he was expecting the other bridge officers to attend this and um and she's just like oh you never assume anything where Loxana Troy is concerned and just chuckles at him and she's like trying to play footsie with him under the table and continues to flirt and at uh, home chimes the the Betazoid dinner gong remember that <laughs> and he and Picard goes ah you're giving thanks for your food i'd forgotten about that i like I I was just noting all the times in this episode when we were recapping all of the Loxana lore. Yes, yeah. because no one watched that first fucking season. <laughs> Definitely not that episode. Hey, you need to. This is a serial show. Well, think about whenever uh, they first bring up uh, Loxana on the viewer early on, where she just like goes out through, you know, very appropriately, very appropriately for her. She goes through all of her accolades and all of her like, you know all of her greatness within Betazoid culture. Like, you know, she's the holder of this and the, the sacred you know, the, chalice of Reese, the fifth daughter of the house of whatever. Yeah. The, literally the thing we heard from that first season, but they have to repeat it all because definitely no one paid attention. Oh, I think that they, I th- I'm pretty sure they get her to say that in every locks on an episode at least. So That's it's great. good. It's, good. A, it's a good bit. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> they should, they should have it. <laughs> It was great in that first episode, though, in, in season one, uh, where she says it like in response to someone says, who do you think you are? And she's like, I am. And she says the whole thing, which I didn't write down this time, so I don't remember it, but it's good. Um, listen back to that episode, whatever number it was, and you can hear me saying it or just watch the show. Watch the TV show that we're talking who about. The, who would watch the show? This show's boring. Go on. Anyway, uh, Picard is thinking fast and he says, I wonder how many cultures have similar customs. And Luxon is like, well, I don't know. And Picard is like, <laughs> no, oh, no, she, no she, she's not like that. She's like, yeah, I don't know, Picard. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, she has a very, I don't really give a shit face. But but he's like, oh, well, uh, let me find out. And he hails Data and he tells him to come to the dinner so that he can be a font of knowledge. And she asks Picard uh, why he thinks she'd want to share their special time with that robot of his. And Picard tells her that uh, oh, Data's anecdotes are the stuff of legend on this ship. You'll you'll have a great time. Trust me. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Data arrives and at the table and he's explaining how he mathematically derived the distance between two plane- points in space while Picard is pretending to find it fascinating and the walks on it looks so bored to tears. And <laughs> Mr. Hum, more like Mr. Yawn. Was he yawning? I didn't see Oh, that. yeah. Big yawn. Big <laughs> theatrical yawn. It's wonderful. Um, I love this guy. What, 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 is, what, is the, what is the other side of a, uh, of a cock block? What, would, uh, what, what is Data doing here? Uh, what? I can't think of a rhyme fast enough. I can't think of anything like good. Really dirty word. Um, I'm not going to go no, in no, this no, no, direction. No. <laughs> But that's what Data is effectively doing here. And he's and there's no better man for the job. There's no better robot for the job. Picard is a very fast thinker, is all I'm gonna say. He's just he he knew how to get out of that situation and he seized it. <laughs> um Pulaski and Troy are walking down the hall, and Pulaski's telling Troy that her mother seems like quite an interesting woman. And Troy explains to Pulaski that her mother is going through uh the phase, which is like betazoid menopause, uh, but betazoid women get incredibly horny. Uh, during this this phase and Pulaski tells Troy she saw Picard heading to Waxana's quarters and Troy wonders if she shouldn't warn Picard but Pulaski jokes that it would be good for the captain's agility and reflexes to stay ahead of her mother like a hunted animal uh I, I, I thought I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> was, I hated was, that 
<laughs> it was good because they did a whole a a no that is not like that not like that yeah troy initially thinks like i oh, even the captain's not gonna fuck my mother and, and she's like no no to stay away from your mother ha 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 anyway yeah the whole <laughs> that whole exchange felt felt really gross to me i don't know why <laughs> that's why I, I i thought it was really gross which made me like <laughs> Well, it, a, it, it, it made me. It was it was gross, but in a way that, that in my eyes, Pulaski would joke about something gross like that. Probably, yeah. It she's was, you know, she's so was, empathetic. It was gross <laughs> in the show too, so that makes it good. She, she, she's only empathetic whenever there's like genocide happening and anything below that. She just doesn't give a shit. Well, you know, you, at least that's a good line to be at. That's a good <laughs> thing to have empathy for. <laughs> <laughs> hey we shouldn't let this genocide happen but okay we can make fun of picard getting fucked and oh war fainted let's make fun of him um <laughs> data is now uh using the monitor and loxana's room to continue to explain science stuff and uh we just see loxana in her chair just like slumped over like oh my fucking god <laughs> it's a great I love image it. i love it um but picard uses uh troy troy walks in and picard uses her appearance as an excuse to say oh well i need to get back to my duties on the bridge and uh, Dater offers to stay and continue entertaining Loxana, who immediately is like, no, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're needed on the bridge as well. And Picard and Dater are walking down the hall back to the bridge and Picard stops and he like takes a deep breath and he turns to Data and he says, Data, you'll never know how much I owe you for that. <laughs> this, is, this is such a good Patrick Stewart. I love it. it. You know, he handles that so well, though, because he doesn't want to insult her. She's an ambassador, but he figures out how to, you know, avoid this awkward situation. It's, it's so good. Um, in in Loxana's quarters, though, Troy is chiding her mother about coming aboard the ship during the phase, and she wants to know what stage it's in. And Loxana is like, uh, oh, I have it under control. You know, it's far al- far enough along for me to enjoy a little one. <laughs> Basically, uh, mommy horny. Uh, Troy also criticizes her mother's dress, the one that her boobs are hanging out of. And Loxana says, there's nothing wrong with this dress. This is fantastic. But she also says that she's going to do the only honorable thing she can about this phase. You know, Troy, maybe as the one that wears the most revealing crew outfit on the entire ship, you shouldn't be judging too much. But it's okay when she does it. It's not okay when her mom does it. Not with the captain. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in the ready room, Troy is explaining to Picard and Riker, with Riker present about Loxana's condition of being terminally horny. And uh, and Riker's like, oh, yeah, this is something Deanna warned me about when we were first starting to date. A Betazoid woman, when she goes through this phase, she uh, quadruples her sex drive. And Troy just says, or more. <laughs> and Riker just turns his head immediately to her. More? <laughs> you never told me that. And Troy just kind of chuckles. and says, I-, I didn't want to frighten you. <laughs> And after she says that, Troy is like moving on to a different topic, but Riker is still like turned completely at her. And he's this this massive grin that creeps over his face (laughs) as he like kind of thinks about it. And he's like, quadruple. Oh my God. (laughs) And then then, then he quickly gets attention back and he starts talking about whatever is at hand. (laughs) But uh, Troy is explaining that Luxana is on a manhunt for a husband. Uh, That's the name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and B- Picard is in her sights. Like she's decided to focus all of her energy on finding a husband, and she has decided it's going to be Picard. And Picard says there must be some way to explain to her that that's not going to happen. But Troy says uh, any any being uh, spurned, any any rejection, she's going to become deeply resentful about it and take it really personally because she's in a very emotional state right now uh, and stuff. And so Picard's like, well, I guess I'll just have to make myself scarce then. 
We are going back to Dixon Hill, baby. Dun, dun, dun. Why Dixon Hill? Why Dixon Hill of all places? Because the horse was busy. Oh, maybe his ass hurt and he couldn't ride. That's true. Maybe he's riding too much, mm-hmm. and he had saddle sores, and so he had to take a huh? break. I don't know. I, I, I guess he, you Pardon? know, he, I, I guess you could say he's trying to look. For, he wasn't trying to look for a different kind of ride. Uh, no, that's not what I meant at all. Um, because his, just the hol- his head was cold, and he needed a hat. He has a hat for riding, though. Remember, he he wears a yeah. riding hat. Yeah, but this one's bigger. This, this one, one is, is bigger. bigger. That's true. But he's wearing his, his trench coat and his hat, and he uh, enters the holodeck. And um, we, uh, we get, there's another respect here because they, they cut to a commercial and they come back. And I really like that they show an establishing shot of the Enterprise before cutting back into like the fucking 1940s and Dixon Hills office hallway. Because that's really important. If you've just tuned in on a commercial and you see this uh, in Dixon Hill bullshit, you're going to be like, what show am I watching? What, what is this? And so they need that establishing shot to be like, it's Star Trek, and we're in the 1940s. Oh, Star Trek. I just wanted to I mention it because I, I appreciated it. Anyway, he walks into his office and his secretary says, uh, hi, Dix. And Picard pauses and recalls her name. Okay, I have a question for you guys. What is her name? Because uh, um... I, don't, I don't watch the show with subtitles anymore. And I could not tell if Picard, if Patrick Stewart was saying Madeline or Marilyn the entire time. It could be either. I don't remember um, either way. I'm going to be perfectly I, honest. It, I think it's Madeline, which I, I remember from the subtitles. So Okay, I, I think it's I, Madeline. I, re, I would remember if it had not a D in it. Okay, that's that's fair. But the way he says it, like it could go either way. So I wrote down half of my notes are saying Marilyn here. And then I was like, wait a minute. Isn't her name Madeline? Uh, anyway, he says, Madeline, good to see you again. Uh, she says, you're too much, Dix. You make it sound like you ain't seen me in a year. <laughs> and Picard asks if there are any new cases. And she, are you kidding? The last time we had a new case, Hitler and Stalin were bosom buddies. <laughs> Cla- classic Hitler joke here on Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> well it's a good it's a good time establisher um i guess but Picard walks into his dixon hill office and takes in the scenery uh turns on the radio peeks out the window and then he sits down at the desk and just like puts his feet up and meanwhile troy he, is telling why didn't he go to a program where he goes to bed <laughs> this is what he wanted to do <laughs> he just wanted to hang out in, in, in uh, chicago in the 1940s uh, and take a nap there i guess um, but meanwhile, Troy is telling her mother that Picard is unavailable because of ship's business. And she's upset, but she goes, oh, well, he was too old for me anyway. And she starts to consider her alternate plan. And she's like, Mr. Holm, we'll have to go to plan B. How, how old is Luxana, by the way? <laughs> Easily older than Picard. Dude. I don't, <laughs> I <was> <laughs> don't worry about it. She likes younger men. Okay, she's a cougar. Um, Picard is looking out the window at his Dixon Hill uh, office and at a crowd shot. And Madeline comes in to tell him that there's a gentleman there to see him, and he doesn't look like a client. And so we get this extremely Chicago gangster guy walks in. I I love this actor, dude. I don't know who he is or what else he's been in, but he is a fantastic Chicago gangster character actor. The name's Slade uh, Bender. There's, yeah, inter- there's, there's apparently a fucking like million period piece actors for the for, like the 40s or 30s or whatever. Well, they they keep making movies about him. That, 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 they, as they should. Slade Bender's got to work. 
it's a you know it's a lucrative business um picard talks to him a minute and uh and then bender pulls a gun on him to tell him he's there to kill him and picard has the computer freeze program while he ducks under the desk and we just see like slade bender just frozen there with the gun pointed at him and um Picard's like, I, I don't want this kind of adventure right now. Let's uh, let's try this again, computer, but with uh, more ambiance and less substance. I'm just so my- look. I'm just looking at this guy's filmography and seeing how many times he's policeman, sergeant, detective. Yeah, <laughs> just Weasel Swindell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Mad- oh, he's the coach in Airbud Golden Receiver. <laughs> nice. Uh, so Madeline appears again and tells him that there's another gentleman there to see him. And the man goes in, you a private dick? And Picard says, that's what it says on my door. That's supposed to be funny. And the guy faces the light. And because uh, this whole this whole time he's entered and it's just his face is covered in shadow. And he looks uh, incredibly intense when he's in the light. He's got these big bug eyes. And he grabs Picard by the collar and tells him he came here on serious business and there's a job he wants him to do. And Picard doesn't like this either and freezes the program, clears the man, falls down on his desk because he was grabbing him. It's like, Uh. okay, computer, try again. And so this time, uh, Slade Bender bursts in the door with a Tommy gun. (laughs) 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 I think the computer at this point is just fucking with Picard. Um, but Picard flies back against the wall, freezes the program again, and the computer explains that the flexibility of the program is limited to the parameters of the Dixon Hill novels. I kind of wonder if that's not a restriction they put into place after a certain event happened with uh, Sherlock Holmes. Hmm. I wonder. I don't know. What do you think, Ace? I wonder. Um, in the transporter room where the Antedians still are, Worf and Wesley are observing them. Uh, Morph still thinks they are uh, incredible looking. He's just still admiring them. He says that he have, they have a certain dignity, a graceful continence. And he loves just, them so much. He He's does. so reverent of these dumb fish people. <laughs> he, they, wow, apparently they're to not cling dumb. On, uh, to cling on aesthetics, that is the most attractive thing you can be as a fish man. Um, but Wesley's like, if you say so, Lieutenant. And Morph says... Like, 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 do you think it's like a... Ri- like, so... Obviously, humans love uh, things that are more symmetrical, smooth, like smooth skin, sort of silky hair. Like when you think about what like Klingons would like, like there'd be stuff with like more ridges, probably more mm-hmm. asymmetry. Like, well, they're very w- symmetrical still, though. Like, but it's it is much more ridged. I was going to say I've, the big face ridge is probably the yeah, big thing. Just more like creases and shit, and like they probably love that kind of stuff. Maybe the eyeballs being further out, they're into. I don't know. Maybe oh, the uh, the 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 beard tentacles i don't know oh the beard tentacles are cool a lot of a lot of klingons wear their beards that way so yeah that yeah that's thing. true um but Worf's just like i see is this how you felt when you first saw me and wesley's like uh maybe a little <laughs> but Aww. but uh now that i've met more klingons i think you're handsome for for a klingon he can't help but be racist. He's so sweet. Oh. <laughs> uh, Loxana and Home walk in and she gasps at the side of the Antidians again. Um, but she asks uh, when the captain is going to revive them. And Wesley tells her, not until they reach Pacifica, ma'am. And she's like, ma'am, huh? Hmm. And she starts sizing up Wesley as a potential husband. <laughs> Dude, not okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, she, she, she's, she's not familiar with the uh, human aging yes, she cycle. Is. She she was married to a human. Listen, <laughs> look, she didn't do it, so it's fine. She didn't do it. No, she's like, hmm. <laughs> she thinks about it for a moment, but she's like, no, I can't wait for you to mature. Uh, I'm gonna, and then she starts to size up Worf instead, 
And she says, your thoughts, they're primal, savage. I like that in a man. And Worf says, I am not a man. And Lockstar is like, oh, that's to your favor, isn't it? Well, too bad for you. I like humans. So too bad. <laughs> Lockstar wants a human. And uh, she asks him who's next. And he makes a gesture at his eyes, like, like covering them like a visor. So I'm guessing they're going to talk to Jordy next. Yeah. We don't, we don't get that scene, unfortunately. I want it. I want to see that scene where she sizes up Jordy. Um, yeah, I want to see what's bad about him. Yeah. Well, probably the blindness, I'm going to guess. Uh, in the holodeck, Picard goes to leave his office and says goodbye to Madeline, who is still uh, still paused. So whoopsie, unpauses her. And, um, and he asks her out for drinks at Rex's bar. Because she's like, oh, I got a note here for Rex's bar. And he's like, oh, I think I'll go there. You want to go join me for a drink? And she's like, well, sure. Um, <laughs> but she hands him a revolver as they're headed out, saying that if we're going to Rex's bar, he's going to need that. And he does this fancy spin of the barrel and puts it in his pocket as they walk out. Uh, and so they arrive at Rex's bar and Rex greets him. Hey, Dix, what do you know? And what do you say? And uh, Rex is gesturing at the paper saying Germany is getting ready to invade England. And then uh, we get some incredible American imperialism here as uh, Madeline and Rex talk about the possibility of the U.S. entering the war. And Picard goes off on a history lecture about because they're like, oh, we shouldn't get involved in this war thing. It's going to be bad. And Picard's like, oh, no, actually, the, uh, the U.S. becomes a world power after because the World War II was very beneficial for them, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And they're just looking at him like, what is wrong with you? I'm I'm canceling Picard here. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. You, you, also, you can't be a big World War II stan. I'm sorry. That's not a thing. <laughs> Doesn't even mention all the shit that happens involved in that. Um. Anyway, Rex uh, pours him a scotch and she offers him a cigarette, which he uh, does not care for. Although he does smoke, he's like, "Oh, oh why am I smoking this thing?" And <laughs> he doesn't know how. He's uh, just Rex holding it between his fingers, like, like, uh, I don't know how. <laughs> It's not correct. But it's Rex not cool at all. Rex reveals that he's uh, called Dix over because uh, Jimmy Cuzo wants them both dead. And um, Pulaski hails the bridge. Meanwhile, they finally beam the Antidians to sick bay. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, I said it. I said what? it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? But uh, Loxana enters the bridge looking for Captain Picard and is told he's busy elsewhere. But she should. Uh, she says she has other interests there as well. And Deanna telepathically tells her that she's scheming and not to try to fool her. And telepathically walks on a response. Oh, I'm not scheming. I'm deciding. And she looks <laughs> over at Riker. And uh, Deanna's Mother, like, no, no. <laughs> not him. He's not on the, <laughs> he's not on the menu. And the walks on is, oh, why not? He's adorable. He is pretty adorable. Okay. 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 So I've like thought about this. So let's assume within like Betazoid culture, they're not as worried about the age gap. They're not as worried. And they're not, let's even give them the benefit of the doubt that like, it's not as weird for them. If like they take the mates of like their children or whatever. Right. If their children are literally saying, Hey, no, do not do this. Stop yourself. It's not okay for them. To, it's not okay for Luxana's mom to just go over and be like, I'm fucking that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a betazoid culture thing as much as loxana is just in no, a no, mentally disturbed no, state and is to being totally totally but I'm, I'm just saying like she should know better i i understand I she is within the show's own language in heat she uh she might be real problematic i don't know she might be a, a huge fucking nightmare i don't i think 
honestly, I think she's just trying to fuck with her daughter as much as possible. I know she's not though. Like she she decides that Riker is going to be her husband. I don't think she's fucking with Deanna at all. I think she's just like this is the most eligible bachelor around. Clearly he's going to want me because I'm great. Everybody should want me. So I'm going to marry that guy. What about uh Chief O'Brien? Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want Chief O'Brien. She wants Yeah, Riker. what about him? We we didn't see the scene where she sizes up Chief O'Brien and decides yeah. not to have him. Yeah. We needed more Pretty of these big. scenes. But he should, honestly, they should have had her do this with every man on the show. I'm sorry, they should have. What about it would have been, it would have been more fun than like I don't know. <laughs> what about like Ensign Jenkins, and just <laughs> <laughs> Security Officer Martinez, and everyone? She should uh, all have the, just, all just the... have every, every every eligible man stand in, in the line in the ship, and she'll just go down it and decide. Yeah. She's got to insult every one of them in a different way. It's, it would be great. Uh, so in the sick bay, Pulaski is reviving the Antidians, and she gets like a big eye blinking at her. And she tells the bridge, and Riker goes to inform the captain, but Loxana interrupts him by making an announcement to the bridge about her and Riker's future marriage. And this is news to Riker. Um, he doesn't know <laughs> how to tell Loxana that this is not happening. But Loxana be- uh, leaves to begin planning the wedding, and Deanna goes after her, but Riker stops her. And she's like, well, someone needs to set my uh, set my mother straight. And Riker's like, uh, I'll leave that for the captain to do. And she just responds correctly, coward. <laughs> like, that is very cowardly. You tell her yourself. Come on. Uh, but Data asks Riker if he's going to the holodeck and uh, is excited at going back to Dixon Hill. He's like, can you wait five minutes? I got I to gotta go put some clothes on. <laughs> He's, Data. Data loves the holodeck so much. He, he like, does. He, I, I, I like only second to Picard. Picard is number one. He's a holodeck fan number one. But but Data is a close second. Data's much better at being in character though. He's much more he of a is. gamer than Picard is. He gets but so Picard into it. Picard sucks at doing it. Uh, he, well, Picard's good at like doing like you know he's, he can ride a horse obviously. But like when it comes to like character stuff, he's just so out of his well, element. He know he knows how to wear the costume. But as soon as anyone says anything, he's like. <gasps> Yeah, I remember that from the book it was in. No, 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 he's worse at it. Here's the thing. He he, he doesn't even know enough to know the book at this point. Because he's like, why am I going to need a gun at the bar about the thing I know? There's always like murders that happen there. It's like, Picard. Yeah, all of this is based directly on Dixon Hill books that he apparently has not read. See, he's just like. (laughs) Um, But at Rex's bar, Picard is engaged in chit chat with Madeline about her life. And, uh, which I, I want to hear more of that. God damn it. This episode should be twice as long. Uh, but a silhouette appears at the door and the three of them gasp and they think it's Jimmy. But no, it's just Data. It's just Data in his suit. <laughs> and fucking Rex says, I'm as jumpy as haircut Lipinski trying to land on a fraction. What the fuck does that mean? What does that mean? I wrote uh, email that Email us at beamethesickbay at gmail.com and please let us know what the fuck that reference was. <laughs> Who is oh, haircut Lipinski? I don't know, but I did... I forgot. I did write down that Madeline said that your testimony got him arranged. <laughs> is it not arranged? It is, and she said arranged. <laughs> That's great. I love that because you see, because she's stupid. Oh, she's not stupid. She's just ignorant. Um, Riker's so all ditzy. Riker is also with Data and tells Picard that the Antidians are awake. So Picard says, "Okay, time to go." Uh, but he reassures Rex and Madeline that he'll definitely be back in time to deal with Jimmy Cuso. And Rex says his friends must have time for one drink, though. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, sure. We got time for one drink. 
And so they all sit down for a round and uh, he introduces them as uh, Nails from Chicago, Miss Riker, and uh, Carlos, dated volunteers, his name is, from South America, which is a yep. good callback yes. to the first Dixon Hill episode. <laughs> um, Lovely pale, though. <laughs> Love that. Oh, yeah, you can tell because of his nice tan. Uh, Riker, Riker tells Picard that uh, a beautiful, wealthy woman that they both know now thinks she's going to marry me. And Rex is like, oh, buddy, it sounds like you hit the jackpot. <laughs> she's beautiful and wealthy, dude. Um, He doesn't say dude, though, because it's the 1940s. Uh, meanwhile, Loxana is trying on a ridiculously frilly gown, which this is her only outfit in this episode that I'm just not into. I don't like it. It's so frilly. It's, it's really, frilly. it's really just ugly it is overly uh what's the word um really i want to say frilly, frilly. I think it's, not, it's just, not even not, not even frilly it's just like the harsh purple of it it's, it's like, just uh it's gaudy? just all purple gaudy is the word yeah 100%. it's just all a bunch of purple satiny fabric there's no uh not, not like there's the no other... depth to it not like the other purple satin dress that she was wearing at the start of the episode, which is very good. This one is bad purple. Yes. I just wanted to make correct. that distinction. The first purple dress, good. This purple dress, not good. Um, but she wants to show Riker. She, she loves this dress. She wants to show Riker how she looks in it. And so she uh, drags home off to see him. And the computer helpfully tells her where he is and gives her a map of the holodeck. Very nice. Thank you, computer. Uh, she and home arrive at Rex's bar. <laughs> I love they look at the silhouette in the door and Rex is like, good God, what's that? Seeing Holmes silhouette in the fucking doorway. And they walk through and um, Rex is like, I bet that's the broad with the big bucks. And he calls Loxana over. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> oh, he can. And he did. And Rex starts to flirt with Loxana and she's really into it. And uh, she thinks he's remarkable. She says she's never met anyone like him because she gets no thoughts from him at all. Just nothing. He's so mysterious. <laughs> Picard is trying to explain to her why that is because he's a hologram, but she just cuts him off and just keeps marveling at Rex. And she's like, I never realized how erotic that could be. And so she asks Rex to go over to a table with her and have a private talk. And Rex is like, oh, all right. And gives the rest of them a wink as he heads off with wine and two glasses. I'm so happy. For <laughs> I am Anna. too. I like, she said, John Luke, I'm surprised you let this part of the ship get so dirty. <laughs> Oh, she's so dumb. I love her. Um, Rickard asks Picard if they uh, if they should tell her, and Picard thinks it's only fair, but he wants to allow her the moment. Um, so in sickbay, I, honestly, like the, taking an aside in this episode, wouldn't the holodeck solve her problems? <laughs> Couldn't she yeah. just get her urges out with a uh, Rex I, over here? Uh, I, mean, I guess. I guess if she's not like looking for that, that, that that's effectively just like it's basically just like yeah. Like you know, what? It's it's it's. What's the difference between using that and like, let's say, uh, uh -huh. <clears throat> are you trying to say it's like masturbation? Are you yes. just okay? Yes. Uh, I wouldn't say. I would say it's not exactly like that, just because the computer is making a fake person, but it's like a very fancy form of masturbation. I don't know why you're nervous about saying that word. Hey, it's just it's easy. Say masturbation. Masturbation. <clears throat> it's easy. <laughs> well, no, I, I was going to say. Uh, I, I was trying to think of a word for dildo without saying dildo. Oh, <laughs> okay. You can just say dildo. That's fine. This, this is a dildo-friendly podcast. I know, but it's it's funnier to say something around dildo. I thought gonna, you were going to say VR chat. We're going to get a bad. We're going to get a bad dragon sponsorship any day now, and we're going to get to read commercials for bad dragon. Oh, Email God. us bad dragon. <laughs> be me to sickbay at gmail give, give us the Klingon double dick. Let's go. <laughs> 
How is that not a thing to have? Give me the deck bay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, you're right. Like, she wants a husband, but she really just wants to fuck. So I think I feel like she should be able to find some common ground here. Just get it out of her system, literally. Yeah. Uh, in in the sick bay, though, the Antedians are awake and they are screaming for food. They're just going, food, I'm just food. Of, I, I know the holodeck like cleans itself. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I'm just picturing the uh-huh. only sunny guys that's like, I'm here to clean the loads. <laughs> After Luxana's done with it. Um, I'm sorry. Worf shows the Antedians the food barrel and they begin just slopping up their food. And uh, Pulaski calls Picard to tell him that they're they're up and about, and he says it's time to go to the bridge. Um, so Picard walks over to interrupt Loxana and Rex's date, and he asks her if she's coming to the bridge, but she says not just yet. Uh, she's going to marry Rex. <laughs> she, she has to, she has to stay and arrange her marriage to Rex. And he tells her uh, that he must deliver her to the conference on time, and she's like, ah, pity. But she's like, oh, I'll be back for you later, Rex. And Picard then tells her, uh, there's something you need to know about Rex. So we get a we get an establishing shot of the Enterprise arriving at Pacifica. We know it's Pacifica because it's a planet covered with ocean. And um, Loxana, Home, and Troy are headed to the transporter room. And Loxana is very upset and embarrassed <laughs> she, about being led on by a hologram. Uh, she's they really like, could have told her. They like had a, a million opportunities to tell her. Yeah, yeah, they probably should. And, and, wow. then, and then they just like decided not to because they thought it would be funny. <laughs> Well, yeah, they they, they she had was to get a nice time. They had to get their revenge on her. You see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they they arrive at the transporter room to see Worf, Riker, Picard, and the Antedians, and she's just like, "Why are they still here?" And Riker explains, uh, "They're going to the same conference that you are, so we thought you might like to beam down with them uh, and the other delegates." But she's she's explains that they they're not delegates; they're assassins. They've got explosives on them. They're going to blow up the whole conference. And um, she tells them not to try to deny it because their minds are so unsophisticated she can read them in her sleep and that their robes are lined with an explosive that is inde- isn't detectable by their transporter. And Data scans them and she's like, oh, she's right. They- they've got this explosive on them. <laughs> she's like, this is, this is not normally detectable by the transporter. It can barely detect it. And then they just press a few buttons and like, she's well, right. <laughs> if you look for it, you can find it, I guess. Yeah, um, no, I-, I get that. Yeah. Uh, they don't. They don't do a normal scan for that material, probably, but they probably have the ability to. Anyway, Picard has Worf escort them to level five for questioning, and uh, Loxana gives her daughter a hug and boards the transporter pad. And she's like, "Oh well, I didn't find a mate, but I did save the conference as well as your reputations, all in a day's work, I suppose." Yeah, that was a little bit of conflict we get in this episode. Actually, was that the Antedians are assassins? I guess <laughs> you, you can't call that conflict. That was almost more of like just a goof. Like to be like, oh, that looks Anna just casually saving the day. It, it was a good goof, though. Um, Picard tells her goodbye and thank you, and she blows a kiss uh, to to Troy, and they energize the transporter. But as she's beaming out, she does the oh, Sean Luke, shame on you joke again. Ah, uh... he's just like, I hate that woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It, 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 I, that was a fun episode. Like it, it wasn't anything heavy, which made me like it a lot more in that respect. Honestly, it was just casual fun. And what more can you ask for? Yeah, yeah I, I love a good slice of life episode occasionally. Sometimes yeah. you just gotta have a good time. And I enjoyed when they put uh, Mick Fleetwood's acting skills 
to good use when he flopped around going food 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 <laughs> is he the one i wonder that says this is ridiculous the other two lines that the fucking ntdn say one would assume i i have to imagine that'd be so much fun to do honestly like just being able to be in a big fish suit and just like slop over a bunch of fish like food in a barrel <laughs> yeah it would be fun yeah, that would be that would be a good. I I would I want to say that'd be a good career, but it wouldn't be a good career to have bits like that. But it would be fun. It would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He says, not that it was a huge part, but I love that I could be part of it in some shape or form. I shaved my beard to put all the prosthetics on. I said, I'll shave my beard off if you promise me that I get to beam down or beam up at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe both if I'm lucky. Um, got- also, they're lucky that the Antedians decided not to just fucking blow up the entire ship after getting found out. You know what I mean? Yeah, they could have easily probably done that. But... Yeah, you know, but whatever. I guess I guess the implication is that they weren't down the suicide bomb. They were just there to, like, you know, do a... Well, do they don't want a suicide bomb for nothing. That's yeah, not what they want to blow up. They blow up the Enterprise's flagship. That'd be something. And it's not. That's not the mission at all. Come on, it, that kind of thing, like the, the the subtle, like very tiny reference that there is that kind of terrorism in this universe, but we don't. We're not going to go into it at all. It's cool. Is, <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. Because yeah. I yeah. would like to know maybe more about why the fish people want to blow up the federation. <laughs> why do they want to blow up the fucking conference. It's going no, on. No, it's fine. We're just uh, we're, we're just going to have them as a little goofy bit in this episode. Now that you really mentioned that, that's so funny that like the the smallest part of the episode is fucking like political terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not nearly as important as Rex is gonna fuck this broad with the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I, I love the Dixon Hell because I love doing the old accents, the old Chicago accents. It's good. Yeah. Uh uh, good episode. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments, please email them to us at beamedasickbay at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Once uh, like again, said, no episode next week because I will be just, gone. I was just going to say that. Yeah, no episode next week, but we're almost done with season two. There's only three more episodes left. The last one is Shades of Grey, which we're going to be doing a bonus episode for. So uh, that'll probably be... I'm gonna, uh, Should we just drop that in the middle of the week or something? Because I don't want to make that like a whole week episode because it's, it's going to be like us talking over an episode yeah. for 45 minutes. I was I was thinking about that. I, I I might not be able to do two episodes in a weekend. It just depends on the schedule. But well, well, I mean, we can record it whenever though, whenever you're available, because it's like I said, forty five minutes. Right, right. Um, no, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what's what's doable and everything. It'll um, come we'll, sometime. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll call you uh when you're in uh the the conference you're going to the uh, convention the uh the, the tournament. What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. How best to match? I, uh, <laughs> I have conference on the brain from the episode. Uh, we'll call you in the middle of the night, though, and we'll just uh, record it that way when you're talking over, like, your, your telephone. How's that sound? Exactly. That sounds great. That sounds perfect. perfect. Yeah. What, 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 name a better way to do it. I can't. All I, right. The perfect way. No. <laughs> okay. Thank you, guys. I'm Mary, your host. Uh, thank you, McFreeze. Thank you, Ace. Thank you, guys, for listening out there. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.